Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is not troublesome to me, for you is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God, and boast in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I, too, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than this, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Michelle Meyer was an ordinary woman from Arizona. Nothing particularly exceptional about her or her life, just a regular, good old, salt-of-the-earth human experience. Loved by her family, loved by her friends, good job, just, you know, just, just the person you'd meet along your life, just a wonderful person. She had, she had no great famous achievements, Michelle was just an ordinary person you might meet in Walmart or at the ball game. She did have a, a history of headaches, which in and of itself is not unusual. We all know many individuals in life that have headaches. And, and, and it seemed as though her headaches were, were getting worse. Um, she started developing occasional migraines. But, you know, once again, just that's common to a lot of people. But one day, one day Michelle, this ordinary individual woman living in Arizona had a particularly intense migraine. And so she felt the need, she nearly passed out. She felt the need to go back to her bedroom, lay down and rest from this migraine. And when she awoke a few hours later, didn't particularly feel any different, didn't look any different. Life was normal. She began to go out and talk to her family and everyone kind of went, whoa, 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 what's, what's, what's going on? She was confused until she eventually realized the reason why everybody was so confused as to what was going on is that she awoke from her nap speaking with a British accent. She was not from Great Britain. She had never been to Great Britain. Aside from a love of the Beatles, there was no reason why she should speak in a British accent. The accent then kind of transitioned into more of an Australian accent. So maybe it was more of a British Commonwealth accent, I guess you could say. But she, there was literally no reason for this to happen. She was not an Anglophile. She woke up with a British accent. She had a case of something called foreign accent syndrome. There have only been about 60 cases ever documented of it. But sometimes there are things that happen. We, they, scientists think it's generally linked to 
brain trauma of some sort. They were thinking in her case, perhaps the headaches and perhaps the, the migraine itself triggered something in her brain. And she woke up with a British accent. There's a, an example of, of a lady in World War II in Norway who was walking down the street and, and a, a piece of shrapnel exploded, hit her in the back of the head, knocked her out. When she came to after this event, she was speaking her native tongue with a German accent. She wasn't from Germany. She just now had a German accent. It's such a bizarre condition. Like I said, there's only been about 60 cases ever that have been written up and documented. But it's a real thing. You are one way, something happens, and you come to, and you're talking completely different. Something happened in your brain that triggered something inside of you that changed you, and you began to speak in a different way than you spoke before. If they had done a, a who's who or under, of under 40 great Jewish leaders in Paul's day, Paul would have been at the top of the list. Paul recounts for us his resume, if you will, in this portion of Philippians. Paul says, okay, guys, if anyone has any reason to have confidence in their flesh or in their works for the righteousness, I can top all y'all. He, he, he recounts it. I was circumcised in the eighth day, being obedient to the law. Not only was he Jewish, but he could do something that was unusual in his day. He could trace his lineage back to the tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't just a Jew, but he knew specifically what tribe he came from. He said, I was to the law, a Pharisee. We think of Pharisee as an adjective, an insult, something to say to somebody. Oh, you're acting like a Pharisee. In Paul's day, Pharisee was not a descriptor. A Pharisee was a noun. You were a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a title. A Pharisee had a certain training, a certain education, a certain position. A Pharisee was someone, it was a title given to someone. Paul said, so I was born to the right family. I was raised the right way. I got the right education. As to persecuting the church, I was zealous. Okay, what Paul is talking about there, you, you back up to Acts, and you read in Acts, well, the first Christian martyr was Stephen. Stephen was a deacon that was killed for his faith. And in there, it says that those who killed Stephen laid their cloaks at the feet of the young man Saul. That Saul would later become the apostle Paul. And some folks will say, well, that just meant Saul was kind of just a young man that kind of helped out and wasn't really in charge. Okay, cool. A few chapters later, it says the chief priest sends his Mission Impossible team to Damascus to stop the church. And he places in charge his top agent, if you will, Saul. So if you have a top secret mission that's going to require your most trusted people, are you just going to hire some kid you met off the street? Or are you going to hire your right-hand man? Or are you going to put your right-hand man in charge, obviously? Saul was the right-hand man. Saul had everything, everything, everything an individual of his day could have wanted. Right birth, right job, right education, right career track. He was on the, the, the fast track to being chief priest. He was young. He had everything you would have wanted. Paul was headed for greatness. He was headed for greatness. Everything an individual in that age could, he was, he, he was even a Roman citizen. 
I mean, if you had it, if you needed it, if you could have wanted it to be successful in life, Saul had it. Paul had everything an individual could have dreamed of wanting for success. Everything. Everything. And notice what he says. Yet whatever gain I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. More so than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul sees Paul had something happen. On that, the road, on that road to Damascus, when he's walking on his mission, he meets the Lord Jesus, and something inside of him changes. Paul, uh, as I wrote this, wrote this sermon, re- writing this sermon, I began to think of that old song, I can see clearly now. I'm not going to sing it to you because I love you. There's a more modern version that I like as well, but I'm not going to sing that one to you because I'm not nearly the vocal talent uh, to sing it, Um, meaning I have no vocal talent. Something happened, and Paul sees clearly all the stuff, all the things that he thought mattered, all the career, all the power, all the wealth, all the status, all the religion, everything that Paul wanted or thought he wanted or had or desired. He had, he had it all in the palm of his hand. He had it in the palm of his hand. It was right there for the taking. Anything he could have wanted was right there. And Paul now says, I consider all that, all that, all that stuff, it's rubbish. It's worthless. It has no value when compared to knowing Jesus because it can't measure up to Jesus. He had everything he could have wanted. And something flipped. And he met the Lord. And he said, it doesn't matter. He realized he was living for the wrong thing. Not a bad thing, the wrong thing. He could see clearly now. <clears throat> Man dies. He goes to his trusted associate and says, okay, here's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try something. I don't know if it's going to work, but let's try it and see. Here's what we're going to do. When I die, I, think, I, I always picture when I hear the story told, it's, 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 uh, I think of Scrooge McDuck and the great theological work, DuckTales. Uh, he takes all of his gold coins, and he has them put into his coffin. He says, here's what we're going to do. We want, let's fill my coffin full of gold. And when I cross over to Jordan and I reach the other side, I'm going to see if I can sneak some of it in with me. Say, I can't take it. Let's just see if I can. So he dies. He gets to, gets to, to heaven, and he has the gold there with him. He hears, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's talking to Peter and says, Peter, okay, I, I, listen, I know this is against the rules. But can we make an exception here? He said, can I, can I bring some of this in with me? Peter kind of scratches his head and says, okay, but what are you going to do with all that asphalt? You know, the Bible says in heaven, the streets are made of gold. Okay? I'm, uh, you know, we take that literally. But I think to think of the streets making, made, being made of gold, 
John the Revelator's framing something for us. Because here's the deal. What is the most valuable thing on the face of the earth? Gold. You know, anytime the economy goes crazy, there's always somebody on TV saying, buy gold. You know, gold is the most valuable thing in the entire world. So when John the Revelator tells us in the Revelation of John that the streets in eternity are made of gold, what he's really telling us is this. Hey, you know that thing that in, on your life is so valuable? You know that, that thing that's so valuable? That's what everything's based off of? That thing that's worth so much? Yeah, in heaven it's what cows poop, it's what horses poop on. In heaven is what we use to fill in the potholes. In heaven, it's literally asphalt that people tread upon. The thing that you're placing so much value on here on the earth in the light of eternity is worthless. It is insignificant. It doesn't matter. Paul made a shift because he realized what really mattered. He had tried to find his worth in his job. He tried to find his worth in his religion. He tried to find his worth in his possessions. He tried to find his worth in his power. And all those things were lacking. It wasn't until he met Jesus that he understood what was really worth living for. Life did not truly have value apart from Jesus Christ. When he met Jesus, he saw clearly for the first time what mattered. Not wealth, not fame, not power, not popularity, not any of these things, but only Jesus. And when he understood the all-consuming, all-amazing, all-powerful, all-redemptive, all-healing, all-life-giving love and grace of Jesus Christ, he understood this stuff that he labored over had no value when compared to Jesus. What does that matter when compared to forgiveness? What does that matter when compared to peace? What does that matter when compared to hope? What does that matter when compared to life? What does that matter when compared to the love of Jesus? As Paul says, it is rubbish. It doesn't matter. Only Jesus matters. That's where life is found. Jesus. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our life. And this other stuff, it's not bad. It's not bad. I like my stuff. My stuff's kind of cool. I like it. But it's not life. Only Jesus is life. We were, this summer on vacation, we were at the beach one day, one night, looking up at the stars. Me and Sarah were looking up at the stars. And uh, it was a, you know, one, of those, one of those beat, those Gulf Coast nights where the clouds are kind of moving kind of fast and you're seeing everything. And the moon was real, real pretty. And, um, and some clouds kind of came over it and kind of hid the moon. We were just looking at it and, and Sarah said, you know, the clouds hid the moon. But the moon was still there. It just hid it. It didn't take it away. So many things in our life are like that, aren't they? They don't take Jesus away. They don't, they, Jesus is not gone. Jesus is still there. But they, they blind us to him when we don't see clearly. Because we're focused upon the cloud that's covering up the moon instead of the moon. 
We're focused on the thing that looks like life instead of life. And we often associate these things with tragedy. How many times in our life do we think of tragedy as the thing that hides God from us? And by the way, it does. Every one of us has had some tragic time in our life that tried to hide God's presence from us. But sometimes, for many of us, it isn't the tragedy that hides God from us. It's the stuff. It's just life. It's, it's what Paul went through before he met Jesus. Those things hide God from us sometimes. My mama put it like this. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Let me say that again. If the devil can't make you bad... He'll make you busy. How about you? What you living for today? I don't want your church answer. Your church answer is Jesus, because that's what you got to say in church. If I ask what you're living for in church, you're going to say Jesus. I don't want your church answer. I want you laying, laying in bed at night with the lights off and the curtain's drawn, and you're lost in your thoughts. What are you living for? To make more money? To accumulate power? You're living for your kids to go to college? Living to take care of your health or your parents? By the way, all these things are good. Like, hear me. These things are good things. I'm not saying these things are bad. These things are all good. But they're just the cloud. They're not the moon. They're not life. Paul says, I found life. These things, I count them as loss when compared to knowing Jesus. Because Paul could see clearly. How about us? Say, friends, what are we living for? Today, friends, where's our life truly found? Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the life of Jesus Christ, God, and for the life that comes only through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love, which knows no limits and knows no ends. Help us to love you with all that we are. We ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen. As is our custom on the first Sunday of each month, we come now to our time of Holy Communion. I invite you to turn with me in the front of your hymnal, to page 12, for our service of Holy Communion. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who, have, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets, who looked for that day when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, when nations shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn of war anymore. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. You anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of this suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. At his ascension, you exalted him to sit and reign with you at your right hand. On the night when he gave himself for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, put out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here. On these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Till Christ comes in final victory, we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. As we come into our time of communion, a few housekeeping notes. First, as we begin our time together, we're going to invite those at the balcony to come first and receive. Um, to help with our, our flow. Also know that our far left station will have a gluten-free element. So if you're in need of a gluten-free option, we would invite you to receive communion on the far left station. Um, we will invite in just a moment those forward who will be assisting with communion. will receive through intinction in front of the rails. So uh, we would invite you to receive in that way. And of course, the altar is open for prayer following that. Um, this table does not belong to me or to St. Matthew's or to religion, any religious group. But this table is Christ's table. 